California is slated to extend the $330 million film and TV tax incentive until 2025. There's a deal to pull the consumer privacy measure from the California ballot, and California is going to sue the Trump administration over border policies. That's what's coming up in this episode of California Streaming. You're listening to the California Streaming Podcast with Bobby, Jonathan, and Louie. We're just three conservative friends trying to provide some counterbalance in one of the most liberal states in the union. So let's hop on our magic choo-choo train to nowhere and talk some California politics. What's up, guys? Hey, everybody. We're back. Magic choo-choo train. (laughs) Although Although everyone understands the train now. Yeah, and if you don't understand the train, go back and yeah, uh, listen last to episode, episode six. All right, we got a couple topics here. We actually have some. We might not even get to all of them. That's how many topics we have. Content rich. <laughs> this this state gives us a lot to talk about. You get a lot to talk about, and it's all for free as a listener. True. Free content. So uh, first story I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, Having grown up in L.A. and worked in the Hollywood industry, California has a $330 million film and TV tax incentive that they are thinking about extending until 2025. So for people that don't understand what that means or what it is, uh, in 2014, AB 1734, SB 951, uh, passed a tax incentive to Hollywood, basically. What it did was it awarded $840 million uh, in a lottery system to 150 projects by the California Film Commission. That's who kind of oversees the whole thing. And uh, the, the big problem we had, especially coming off the writer strike a few years ago, was that a lot of industry left for other states, Georgia, Louisiana, New York, New Mexico, Canada, because these states, just like with the other industries here, poached. They saw that California wasn't giving any tax incentives anymore and uh, was kind of sticking it to Hollywood. And so, like most industries, they just picked up and left. The problem is, is I, I don't think people realize how much ancillary stuff Hollywood funds. So it's not just about the movie. It's about the thousands of crew and staff and cast members that they employ And then you've got, for instance, you know, just take one little thing. Let's say you're filming on location somewhere. You're not only paying the store owner to say use his location, but your uh, carpenters are then buying lumber locally and hardware to build the sets. They're buying local paint to paint the place. They're then buying food and, and whatnot from the places around the area. There's a lot of infrastructure that especially in Los Angeles, that feeds off of Hollywood. So uh, I thought it was interesting that the state is actually choosing to extend this tax because previously they didn't want to extend a tax to Hollywood. You know, they just had the Emmys. Or what was it? Uh, Screen Actors Guild or award? They all blend together for me. Yeah, they're all the same thing. But uh, A bunch of celebrities giving each other's awards. (laughs) It's it's just a uh, big old circle jerk over there. And they just... Ooh, I think you just took us out of the... uh, Now we have to go to the explicit. (laughs) A more PG rating. Well, you can take for it what it is. But they're all patting each other on the back going, I'm super liberal. I want progressive taxes. I want this and I want that. 
but you watch a TV show and it says made in Georgia or made somewhere filming. I don't know where it's they've ran away from their prized California where we're living and they've gone to where the taxes are suitable. Well, I don't think people realize that the production companies don't take a lot of times the staff with them. So the crew is based out of the union trade locals in Los Angeles or Hollywood. When they go to Atlanta, now they've got trade unions in Atlanta or New Mexico. So they don't take any of the, usually they don't take most of the crew from LA and those people, the people that we say are below the line. So not the producers or the managers, the kind of the working class of the set. Those people are out of work because in Hollywood, if you don't have a show, you're out of work. And a lot of people, uh, both below the line and cast members end up out of work. I mean, if you're talent, you get to go with the production, right? I mean, if they hire Ben Affleck, they're using Ben Affleck, whether they film here or Antarctica, but you don't have to take the caterer or the carpenters or the electricians or the grips with you. You can go hire or a lot of times go hire scabs in other areas who work for, you know, way cheaper than the crew. But I think, uh, John, I think there's a clip from Mayor Garcetti. Yeah, let's play that. We've been watching this industry slowly melt away from the state. Today, we put the flag back down and we say California's coming back. Um, that we're not going to just film a few pilots here and see most of them elsewhere. We're going to bring those shows, just like the one here today, back to Los Angeles, back to California. When he says California's coming back, does he make the, the assessment that we're in trouble? I think what he's saying is that California passed a law statewide, or I should say, a, you know, a tax incentive program statewide that will directly affect Los Angeles. And I'm not a big fan of Garcetti at all, but I, you can totally tell that he's, you know, championing behind this. I, I'm surprised that California, you know, in our last episode we talked about how they're sticking it to Google and how Seattle's sticking it to Amazon and how they're trying to get as much tax money out of these people as possible. So I think part of the reason for looking at the story was that I'm surprised that California is actually making it industry friendly, but you wonder but, if that's the push from liberal Hollywood well, exactly. on their liberal friends. I so I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here, or at least be heavily skeptical. I can't help but see in this that these carve-outs are simply because of the local politicians that know who's going to come to the X thousand dollar a plate dinner to support them for their next campaign. And so why not use, not my money, but other people's money to give them incentives to do that? Why is that not the likely thing happening? So are you, are, would you be against it? So... To me, what's the fun? I'm curious. No, 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 no. What the funniest part is, you want to put people out of work. Exactly. Hardworking Californians. The funny, the the most funny thing to me about the whole deal is what it demonstrates. It's essentially all I can see when I see something like this is the normal status quo environment in California is horrible. So what we have to do is we have to decrease the horriblenessness. If that that's not a word, but you see, it what is I mean. now. We have to decrease that in this particular area to make it even competitive with any place else. So we're going to do that. Now, the incentives for doing that, like, like I just said, I think are 
uh, of the self-interest of the politicians and their own greed. However, it's also it's simultaneously bringing light to the fact that the normal status quo is bad, real bad, and so we have to improve it. That's all I can see when I see something like this. I think what's interesting is it's the only, uh, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't done a ton of research, but I feel like it's the only industry we've seen California make a play to keep. We just keep hearing about businesses well, it, leaving, and then the state's like, "It's what we're here's known the middle for, finger, right? It's, See this is California. This is where Hollywood is. Yes, but again, who is sitting at the tables of the X thousand dollar a plate dinners for the federal and the local liberal politicians when they need money, right? Oh, well, abso- absolutely. I don't deny that fact. Well, of this, this is just an extension of a policy that they did. They realized the error of their ways and they decided to extend this further to uh it was supposed to expire in 2020 and so they're going to give it a few more years and see what happens but essentially they're not coming back because it's just an extension in which it has a sunset provision it will sunset again they just need to realize that they need to lower taxes but they can't do it it's like chopping off an arm. They won't do it. Well, well, I think what's interesting is they acknowledge, and I think you were making this point, John, they acknowledge the fact that there is a tax issue and people are leaving. <laughs> issue. Right. <laughs> uh, with this, but they only think it's this one industry. Exactly. Right? No, <laughs> exactly. Status quo stinks. But when it comes to this industry, okay, we'll kind of make it quasi-normal relative to the rest of the country. Right. Well, oh, Okay. The governor's office of business and economic development just awarded $26 million in state uh, tax credits to nine companies in Southern California to create 1,066 jobs. That's about $2,400 per job. They're throwing money at these companies, but again, they have sunset provisions. Well, I think what's what's uh, interesting is the California Film Commission said that basically uh, the tax initiative has given eight hundred and forty million in tax credits, and they uh, estimate that since twenty fifteen, it's created six billion dollars in direct in state spending. How much of in play here? I, I I don't know. I'm just just thinking off the top of my head. How how much? As part of this is just general cost of living, which, I mean, they, you know, California, again, we could talk about status quo, but just cost of goods and services, et cetera, for these people versus if they hire a crew somewhere else. I mean, I'm just thinking about where the tax incentives lie in terms of profits and operating I, versus. Well, I think you can get as granular as you want because you can say, okay, well, when we talk about direct in-state spending, you have tons of vehicles being used on a set. So are we including the fuel, the maintenance? A lot of them uh, rent from, like down there, a lot of them rent from Galp and Ford, big box trucks, vans. You know, they rent, lease them, things like that for a show. You wonder how much of like those little ancillary costs are getting figured into that, which it's true, and they're paying more gas tax. <laughs> it's contributing to the old gas tax, but... I, there is a lot of 
there is a lot of that outside influence that I think people don't realize it's the mom and pop store or bakery that's in an area that's being filmed in. And then for snacks, craft service goes and gets those baked goods, you know, for a snack in the afternoon for the crew. It's the local restaurants that they're pulling food from for a snack. It's the local caterers, the local lumber yards, hardware stores, paint stores, the, you know, sound equipment, vehicles. I, there's, there's a lot to the industry that's more than just the million dollar actor who's getting paid or the million dollar, you know, the, the Harvey Weinsteins. Create a ceiling for them, for just actors in general, just say, let's pass a law. That's Everything all you can, can be make? fixed. <laughs> yeah, like, all yeah, so no, no, with this, China no, no, Soviet Russia? This is good. We just talked about rent control in the last episode. How about right. salary actor control? and actress pay control? Why won't that work? Stop going to the movies. No. <laughs> no, I can't do that. You know, an inter- interesting thing I found when I was doing some reading for this. So Virginia, I, I know of um, recently filmed there was, and I don't think it's being filmed anymore, but the Netflix show um, House of Cards right. was filmed in Virginia. Probably a, they had a, a problem on that set. Yeah. Other things, too, I'm sure are filmed in the state, but... But their Joint Legislative Audit and Review Commission, some some government entity, looked at it and said, quote, film tax exemption has little effect on film location decisions, a negligible benefit to the Virginia economy, and provides a negligible return on the state's investment. It was just an interesting comment to me that, and, it, and it, again, it goes back to my skepticism and about what the true incentive here is, Net, 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 they're saying, at least in Virginia, it's not beneficial to have given these tax incentives, except, again, maybe for the fact of who might be helping support so-and-so. But they're coming from the standpoint of they're trying to attract business, whereas we're trying to keep it in place. Okay, so you're making the argument for like House of Cards, they were being courted probably by Hollywood. At well, some point. and that's a unique one because I think they're using a lot of national that, monuments. That's fair. Sure, that's right? fair. But okay. Ch- change the show to, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever. Yeah. They're only going there cause it's cheaper. They don't, re- I don't think they really want to go there. It's inconvenient. They all live here. Like when it comes to the above the line, people, the producers and directors, they all live here or, or New York maybe, but they're specifically taking the production uprooting it and going over there. Like a perfect example is, um, Manhattan Beach Studios used to produce like all the Marvel movies there. Like Marvel basically owned that lot. They had all the stages. And, and you know, you go back the last 10 years, there's just a Marvel movie every six months coming out. They left. They picked up and they went. And that was a sad day because it's like, it's very rare in the industry to be able to have steady work for like a decade at every level of employment in the industry normally hot from show to show with some kind of hiatus in between. But you were just staying on Marvel's payroll and just hopping from one superhero movie to another, just steady work at the same lot, which is always awesome. It's like having a regular place of employment. I don't think they really wanted to leave Manhattan Beach. They left because it was cheaper to go do it somewhere else. You know, I get the history of the film and TV industry in this state. But there's also the element to me of picking winners and losers, right? Solyndra, government, an example of government wanted the solar industry to succeed, gave it money, bad investment. 
we have bakeries in the state. We have mom and pop grocers in the state. Why aren't they getting tax incentives? Well, to that point, you'd say that some company, some film company would pick up, come over here, get the tax incentives, and then once they expire, they jump ship again. I mean, every corporation's based in Delaware <laughs> when it really comes down to it. Right. Or you see the late night, you know, incorporate Nevada commercials. <laughs> sure. Same kind of deal. But uh, I get what you're saying, too. I think the I think the interesting part and maybe the skew on it for us is that they started here and they're leaving because it sucked here versus those other states are trying to poach. So they're really trying to drop their levels as low as possible because they're trying to they're trying to be the greener pastures, the other girl, you know, like that's you know, an interesting I'm not I'm not sure how much to say on this beyond this the following statement, but another interesting element in all this, and we saw it if memory serves, we saw it a lot in the nineties. And I know other places since then, maybe even late eighties and since then, depending on the period. But another interesting element in all this, especially with Canada is currency rates. Right. Now that's a, now that's something you can't, I don't care what kind of incentive you, depending on the currency rate, you got to give serious incentives. And sometimes, I mean, we're looking at right now, I think, uh, I saw it the other day with Canada, you get like a 25% discount. Let's assume things dollar wise printed cost the same in both countries. You automatically get a 25% discount if you go up to Canada. Well, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but this is why we've seen such a decline with Canadian hockey teams over the years because they have to pay out American dollars. Meanwhile, their stadiums take in Canadian dollars. Interesting. So there's, there's no, it's not like you go work for, you know, you go to Edmonton or something like that, and then you get paid Canadian dollars. Right. So think about it, uh, the natural flip, right? Uh, I'm going to pay all of my production costs at a 25% discount and one of the biggest locations to get revenues from theaters, et cetera, is going to be here in the United States in American dollars. Right. That works real well. Works great. But again, there's not much beyond to to say because other than the fact it's an interesting tax incentive, it's not a tax incentive. It's it's an incentive. It's a differential in in the strength of currencies. But it's a lever that California can't control, Georgia can't control. Um, well, we're, can, we're, we're talking about it right now in terms of federally in the Trump administration and strong dollar, et cetera, et cetera. But in general, it's not a lever that they have any say. In over. our last podcast, we were defending Google about their potential taxes coming up. And it's just exa- exactly the same thing. They see someone else to squeeze and they're going to go ahead and do it. Now, Right. And, and I think, too, you're seeing, especially today, a transformation from your standard big production companies that everything kind of pumped out of in the last couple of decades to these smaller operations like, you know, Netflix has original programming, a ton of cable channels like USA, TNT. They have all their they have their own original programming now. It's not just syndicated television. You see a lot of just original stuff from smaller shops. And so I think because they are more mobile and they don't really have like sound stages of their own, they hop around and they just shop for the best deal or their Nexus isn't in California to begin with. 
you know? Yeah, just the flexibility that comes with being a smaller operation. Exactly. Versus, I mean, what, the Warner Brothers Warner Studios? Warner Brothers or Disney. You are where you are. And, That's your yeah. footprint, you know? So. All right. Next topic. So I thought this was kind of interesting. I, I don't know if there's a ton to say about it, but there was a consumer privacy measure that was going to be put on the California ballot in November. And it got pulled off at the last second. Um, so a San Francisco real estate developer agreed to a last minute deal to keep his data privacy measure off the November ballot. He believed that the California Consumer Privacy Act, that's what it was, that's what it was going to be called, was going to cost a fortune because he was going to have to fight the legal teams of Amazon, Google, AT&T, Comcast, and every other kind of ISP. So the legislature, what they did was they just created similar legislation and got the votes, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be voted on on, the, on June 28th. Uh, so I thought it was kind of, it was kind of an interesting element that the state recognize that this guy was going to get clobbered in court by juggernauts of the industry. And so they decided to just pony up their own legislation yeah. that was almost identical to it. Enough similarity to where this guy was like, eh, okay. Yeah. You guys just run with it. I'll be over here. This is all fallout from Facebook and their, uh, what was it? The Trump Cambridge Analytica. Cambridge Analytica. Well, yeah. and it's part of the new EU requirements. Of, oh, right. We've all been getting those emails for yes. the last two months and all the pop-ups on websites about how you, they got cookies and how your data is going to be used. And I think it's fallout from that. I have a clip from, uh, the president of it. If you want to play that. This is just a common sense initiative. It gives Californians the right to find out what information a company is collecting about them, to find out if they're selling that information, and then also the power to say, if you're selling my information, I should be able to tell you to stop selling it. I think that's pretty interesting. Um, I don't know how you stop them from selling it. That's that's the <laughs> thing, right? As I'm reading through the various, um, they, they call it the original acts rights. Okay, and she mentioned it right there that right number four again. This is what was going to be voted on, but again, it got pulled. Right number four is the um, excuse me. Right number three, the right to direct a business not to sell or share that information. That's at the core of so many of these uh, internet companies' models. I don't. I, I don't think people realize this part, and I am in digital marketing. That's a big part of what I do. You're in everything. I'm in everything. Uh, Facebook is free, and it is what it is because they make money off advertising. There's no way to get around that. You can watch the feel-goody Facebook commercials. But more specifically, it goes beyond just advertising. It goes to selling your information right. well, to and, the advertisers. And that's what I found uh, so interesting with the Cambridge Analytica debacle was that they obtained information by a third party and that became, oh my gosh. But as a digital marketer, I have access to like all the same information through Google's, or I'm sorry, through Facebook's platform. And I can send out advertisements. I can do all sorts of things based on any of the demographics on Facebook that are recorded, your user behavior, 
I can even create an audience with your email based on people like you, lookalike audiences. I can dump in the contacts from my CRM software. Uh, you know, if you're a business, dump in your whole customer list. I can market those people directly. I can market people that are like those people. I can create all sorts of lists. Like that's how they make money. Billions of dollars are spent on Facebook every year. Like it's a huge cash cow. To think that your data is not going to be, I don't get the protection commercials because I'm still advertising on Facebook. Nothing has changed on my end. It's just, they're, they're not, that's selling it as far as I'm concerned. Oh, absolutely. They're, they're holding the information. This is the loophole that the difference is, is they're not releasing that information to me. I'm using their platform to access it indirectly. So when I say I want to create a bunch of people that uh, I want to market to people in California that are conservative, it's not going to tell me here's a list of people. Their computer will just go ahead and disperse that advertisement appropriately. I guess the difference with Cambridge Analytica was they got access to the data that I merely can reference. But your point's a good one. Define sell the data. What does it mean to sell the data? Right, because to me, if I'm an advertiser on the platform, they're selling it to me. I'm paying for the click. Google's the same way, Google AdWords. It's, it's the, uh, the advertisements, the top three and the bottom two or three that appear above and below your search results. You pay to appear there. And then I can show those advertisements to people who have been on a website of one of my clients. It drops a cookie and you can be remarketed to. It's just like when you go to Amazon and the thing you looked up follows you for the next three weeks. That's your, that's your information being sold. Now, technically, they might skirt things, but that's your information being sold. I mean, let's not be stupid about it. And if they're actually talking uh, to, to that point, if they're talking about preventing or allowing people to prevent the, the, the sharing of their information with somebody like you for the purposes of advertising, well, you might as well close the doors right now. Because if, and that's, this is a big if, if they make that easy and or are required, quote unquote, by law to make that easy, they're going to lose, well, I mean, I couldn't even guess the percentage, but they're going to lose a notable percent, I would imagine, well, of people. Yeah, I don't see how the ISPs and everybody who sells data is just going to lay down and let this happen. Right. I mean, it was going to be a ballot measure to begin with, but then they discovered that they were going to come out with a heavy hand, raise a whole bunch of funds, and challenge this on the ballot. Doesn't mean that they're not going to give it another go. They're going to go, they're going to raise funds. They had raised $200,000 already to fight this thing, which they sidelined. All those companies got together and they decided we're going to fight this. And then, then they went to the Senate and passed that bill. Right. And in that, sorry, I know, John, you no, have no, a point. No, no, it's okay. We did a, one of our episodes a few weeks ago was on the California net neutrality bill that was going to change the world. And then we find out a couple of days ago, super watered down is not anywhere near what people thought it was going to be. And you can still pretty much throttle. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah if, if, if memory serves from what I read about the, what happened a couple of days ago, it very much seems like the person who proposed the info was heavily funded by or supported by certain ISPs. I mean, it, it all kind of neatly came together as to why what ended up being put out there 
was put out there because of who was behind them. But maybe we'll, maybe we'll loop back on that in a. Right. And I wonder too, like, what is the, this is kind of like what we talked about in the last episode, the social responsibility of corporations. What is Facebook's responsibility on that data? It's not like they gain your social security number. They just get user behavior. And then you wonder, well, you accepted their terms of service and you don't have to be on Facebook and you don't have to be on any of these social platforms. I totally agree. You voluntarily do that and you put your whole life on there and you put pictures of your kids and all these user behavior attributes that get recorded and then sold. And now everybody knows. Like now there's no excuses. Everybody knows how this works. I actually, I was sitting here and I want to go back on something I said just a couple of minutes ago because I think I was giving a reaction from, from me and my, and personally how I feel about the privacy and the data being, well, you're not on Facebook. Uh, No, no, right. I, yeah. Someone right now is talking who does, I think I have a Facebook account, but it's been years since I've logged in. The question is, though, and this is a bit of a tangent, but it still, I think, relates to definitely relates to consumer privacy. And do people really care? I don't think they do. Yeah, you're reading about it all the time. It seems uh, in articles talking, especially about millennials, and they interview them, they take polls. They just don't seem they they don't care. They they approach it as if everything's out there anyways. So I go back on my comment when I was saying, I think you'll have a notable number of people you know, checking the box to not sell and that'll be a problem. The more I sit here and think about it, that would probably be me. I'm not sure that would be a majority of people. Well, it, the Cambridge Analytica thing was only an issue because it involved Trump. Oh, I mean, yeah. let's be real. Yeah. Right. That firm working for him gained access to the data. And then on top of that, you have a lot of experts saying that the social media push and the amazing expertise of their social media campaigning is really what gave them the boost they needed to pull off a win. So everybody's all pissy about it. I mean, that's all it is. Yeah. Versus it's, it's, can you get enough people to, to care, be, to care <laughs> because they don't care. Well, it's not that they don't care. They obviously care. It's like, okay, there's name something I care about, but do they feel that they can change it simply by caring simply by doing a Twitter rant, by doing something like that? We've seen it. Or you can post on Facebook, the disclaimer that says you don't allow them to use your stuff. That works. Oh yeah. 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 That ain't going to work. But but sarcasm. I'm going to, I'm going to say like, uh, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders and our DHS, uh, head of state, they were in restaurants where people recognized who they were. And then they started jumping up and down, making noise, telling them that they're their devil or something like that. And the only reason they could do that is so that they could post it on social media so that it would go viral so that they could humiliate these people. Otherwise people are agnostic about the whole thing and they just kind of go, and eh, whatever, I can't affect it, whatever it is that they were about. If they didn't have that microphone, that platform, they wouldn't have done what they were doing. They weren't looking for like votes. Oh, for sure. I, we see it time and time again whenever there's a, man, this is going to be a big tangent. 
whenever there's a school shooting or uh, any kind of public shooting, everyone changes their profile pictures to be the flag of the country involved or whatever it is. And it's like, oh, yeah, you're really helping, aren't you? You changed your profile photo or you posted some angry rant on your wall. None of that does anything. Zero. Zilch. But we think it makes a difference because yeah, it, it makes us feel good. A slight argument there. It, it it does. I think it does something for a lot of those people because the bar that they have for what it means to do something. <laughs> right. I mean, you're. Or maybe it's like a therapeutic. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, uh, it does something for them to do that. Does it do something in the context that we might talk? No. But it. Yeah. And again, it just goes back to the narcissism of those platforms. All it is saying is, look at me. Look at me. I care. And so that you Superficially, just... Superficially, of course. Correct. And you just touched on the word because because of that aspect, because of the innate narcissism in, in a lot of these social media platforms, do our people gonna really care that their info, which they probably already think is the best info on the planet because it's them, uh-huh. Do they care that that just got out, that that was sold, that that was released? I'm, I'm thinking no, now the more I think about it. Well, and it's, it's probably not even seen by that many people because we know that Facebook manipulates what you see. But go back 30 years ago, before all this internet. Before, before we the had, interwebs? Before Al Gore invented the internet? That's right, before that. What was the responsibility of a company of keeping your data safe, even though... I understand it didn't transfer as well as it did now and thanks to technology. But at the same time, the, they had to have your data, like a bank would have your information. They didn't want your people knowing your mother's maiden name, but they kept that in a secure facility. Security guards on the bottom floor, security cameras are all over the place. But eventually somebody could break into this facility and steal it on their own. What was the, what was the uh, monetary value of letting go of this data, even though they had a reasonable amount of security? Because this is the biggest problem of the Cambridge Analytica thing, is that it <clears throat> was stolen or left alone, or they somehow obtained it without asking. Right. Well, and we see this with stuff all the time, like, a lot of times these aren't like major high tech hacks like the Equifax deal was that basically the head dude had like admin admin as his <laughs> username and password, you know, so totally true. But with the big twist on Equifax, we didn't have a choice right. whether to use Equifax or not. Like, like I just mentioned, I, I don't really do Facebook. I don't really post stuff. So the amount of data I think that they have about me is decently limited, right? I'm stuck with Equifax, whether I like it or not. Right. And, and that's the whole, that's the whole tangent of socials being used for what they should, they were never intended to be used for. Like yeah. they were not a serial number for people, you know? Um, but I think, uh, I don't know. I don't know how enforceable the whole thing is when it comes to uh, making sure that your data is private. I think anything would come in the form of a class action. Like you'd have to find out 
through the media that there was some kind of breach. Like if they just sold my data, I, I'm never going to know that. There's 18 different filters that could but go through. When you're, we were talking about Equifax, and they lost the data on pretty much everybody. So what's the penalty? I mean, if everybody's in the same pot, then what are we going to find this Equifax? Well, that's what, a, a great segue, Bobby. Um, let's go ahead and play a clip by uh, Mary Ross, and she's going to tell us exactly what happens if you're a wronged consumer. So what this initiative does is just say, if a company doesn't take reasonable security measures to safeguard your personal information as required currently under California law, and you are injured, your identity is stolen, you have the right to bring a cause of action under this. So you get to sue. Like, I don't understand well, how that's What's reasonable? <laughs> do, I, do I have, like, Tom Cruise and, like, wire... Why are things protecting my uh, my data somewhere? I mean, what 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 is reasonable? The, the the court and a jury of your peers will decide, Bobby. This sure, isn't or, a this obviously it doesn't speak to the defense element of it, but these things are just going to get so incredibly complex. Let's look at let's look at in, oh yeah, absolutely in terms of data and Hillary's emails, right? It could forget. I'm not focusing specifically on Hillary, but I'm just focusing on data breach emails that, in theory, were being recorded by what some some central systems of the government. And look at the difficulty that they had coming up with those. So now you're telling me that Google, Facebook, etc., who purposefully, for business operation purposes, has servers all around the globe. I'm going to have to be able, and then someone's going to have to be able to verify that throughout all of their systems, in all of their backups, in all the data centers that they have, all of my data, no one else's, but specifically my data, has been fully removed per my request. That seems like an incredibly impossible task, not necessarily for Google or Facebook to do, but for anyone to verify that that's actually happened. Well, let that, me, that, let me, that's my argument, though. Like, how, how do you even know the breach of just your data has happened if it wasn't a, a large-scale breach that you found out about through the media? And then, and then how do, there's no way for me to know. I, <laughs> since you do, let me, let me ask you this question, Louie. I'm going to ask you to do some quick math in your head. Okay. Oh, let me get a calculator. How, since you do a lot of social media posting for your business... Could you give me a monetary value of one user to you? Because that, I think, would be the amount I sue a company for losing my information. I guess I don't understand you, the question. Well, it's like, okay. you're almost, you're almost, it's like the way I, the way I it's hear it. Really let, like let me recapita. Yeah, let me recast this, I think. Maybe this is what you're asking. Businesses get valued when they get bought all the time, right? Are you asking what value, how do you place a value on someone's social media presence via a particular platform? What's the value of a social media presence uh, from the list building application? I think your value is zero unless you click. So let me put it to you this way. All these things operate for the most part without getting in the weeds on a cost per click method. Sure. So back in the old days, you just put 
your advertisement on a billboard and you got like the most non-targeted advertising ever, you know, ever, and you pay just for having your advertisement present, whether it was a newspaper, billboard, bus, bench, whatever. The way Google and Facebook operate is it's on a cost per click model. They show your ads for free. You only pay when somebody actually comes up with some action, when they click on your ad, uh, they click on your display, whatever it is. You don't have a value to me until you click on something. You shotgun blast out your advertisement to everybody. I could market you guys. I don't know if you're dead weight or if you're a real person or if you're even my right audience. Like, I don't know that. Google's algorithm is who's piecing together what it thinks applies to what I'm trying to advertise to. You click on that ad, now you have some value. In fact, I'm, now I'm paying for it. If you make some action now on my website or, you know, a client's website, whether it's purchasing a product, filling out a form, whatever it might be, now you, you have extreme value to me. But, you know, purchasers fall into what we call a sales funnel, you know, and so you could be at the very top end of the funnel where you don't mean a whole lot to me yet. But as you get warmer and warmer and warmer and you make that action, you fill out a form, you make a purchase. Now you're super warm. Now you do have value. Now you are money in me or my client's pocket. I'm still trying to assess a value and I'll, I'll take it one step further and go, okay, the dark web where they actually steal somebody's identity. But even then you're pretty damn cheap. I think, I think combining what both of you guys have said, it would strike me that the value of somebody's uh, social media presence via Twitter, Instagram can be or could be determined, but would need the past history of that person to determine. Let's, let's use me as an example. I'm not on Facebook. Well, someone could pretty quickly determine that if my Facebook info got stolen, not very valuable because I was never a viewer or clicker of things on Facebook versus somebody that they could tell whose data had been stolen and that person often clicked, often looked at, and often transacted much higher value than me. So it would seem like it'd be something that could be... Right. On the flip side, I would say that you're, you're vulnerable to the Equifax breach, whereas you have a valuable credit oh, score. Oh, yes. Right. Well, uh, but those are two different things because... But I'm, I'm kind of going to the presence of because the rules would apply, you have to have a reasonable security for not losing data. But... We also have to define what is the litmus test of data importance. For instance, you having your data on Facebook, what you look at, what you've self-declared publicly, what, what posts you've looked at, all those attributes and demographics are kind of minutia. It's like whatever. Okay, so what? people? Who cares if people know where you went to school? They know what you've been posting. It's all public. They know maybe what ethnicity you identify with, what gender you are, when your birthday is, all the things you've chosen to list. But an Equifax breach where I get Jonathan's social, driver's license, credit history, anything else that I can use to then build his identity for my malicious use, that's a whole different set of data circumstances. And back to the point, I don't remember entering into a, a specific agreement with Equifax in the first place yeah. where I signed up for Facebook. Right, you know, any of them, Equifax, TransUnion, Experian, 
You don't get a choice for any of the three big credit bureaus, yet they all factor into every big credit decision you make, whether it's a, a credit card, a house, or a car. It's an aggregate of all those. I would say, and I think an aggregate's a good word on what is the cost of somebody on Facebook to me? Not a whole lot. The aggregate of a whole defining attribute, big deal. Like if all of a sudden you say, well, you don't get to, you don't get to market to specific genders. That's a big deal. You know, if I'm trying to sell baby products based on the data, I'm going after females. If I can't pick genders, now there's a chance that I'm going to be marketing to a lot of people that aren't in my target. You're anymore. turning it into a new billboard. And that's a waste of time. It's just got, yeah, the, the word complicated just continues. Keep your life private. To come to mind. Like that's, take some self-responsibility, keep your life private. The things when it comes to like Equifax or the DMV, things you don't have a choice in, that's a whole nother set of circumstances. But if you're pissed off because somebody sold your social media history, well, that's on you because everything was public to begin with. Yeah, I don't, I don't have, I don't believe I have a reasonable expectation of privacy on Facebook, nor do I expect it. You guys? I, I don't. Mm. <laughs> and that's why you're off it. Only to my friends. Why not? <laughs> yeah, why not? All right, we got two choices of stories here. What do you guys want to go with? With the time left? Yeah. Let's see. We've got... Should we go with the big one? Yeah, I think so. We Just to let the listeners know, we... Ran into a, an issue, and I'll, I'll just kind of run through it. In San Luis Obispo, there was a uh, very close race. Came down to about 81 votes, and the uh, county clerk was really trying to help out the Democrat beat the Republican. It was a big deal. It's getting resolved, but it becomes a bigger issue, and I think we'll skip that. Maybe we'll approach that later on, just kind of give you a... Well, we should mention that uh, the Republicans held a majority on the board of supervisors, right. and this was going to be a flip on that if the Democrat got elected. Three to two. Yeah. Three to two. Um, basically, it came down to whether signatures were valid or not, and the clerk was side, was throwing out a lot of signatures and counting a lot of votes or continuing to process ballots outside of a... Yeah, I think this stems further into the whole mail-in ballot problem that we have and bigger issues at the state level with how the state and counties count their votes. But I think we should do the other hot-button topic. And it's it's definitely it's a, a hot-button topic. Yeah. Um, so California is going to sue Trump over the uh, family separation policy at the border. Build that wall. Build that wall. <laughs> Why not sue you? Sue everybody. I don't. I don't know what there's to sue about. He's enforcing law that's already on the books. And we're finding out as more data is released that not everything. Actually, this should be a spoiler alert. We probably need a sound effect for spoiler alerts. But not everything we've been seeing in the media is true. Yeah, imagine that. Not everything we've been told in the media and all the people that have God on social media, all the people that have chosen to inject the Bible, compassion, all sorts of things 
well, into this argument. Again, we were just talking about social media and the presence, and everybody was ranting and raving about this issue. And then, and then we, President Trump signed something, even though it's not technically. Well, let's not get into that right now. But then it just went away. <laughs> nothing was actually solved. No, nothing was solved. And what we're finding out is uh, the majority of people, I'm sorry, the majority of children that have come to the border actually didn't come with parents at all. So we keep hearing about this separation of children from their parents, and most didn't even come with parents. Uh, you know, and a little bit of backstory on the whole thing. When you are taken into custody at the border, you're remanded to the U.S. Marshals. The U.S. Marshals don't ever take kids, ever. If they were just, uh, you know, actually the big part of what they do is treasury stuff. But if if there's any kind of fugitive recovery, they don't take the kids. The kids are remanded to human services. Child welfare services. Right. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they've been split up anyways, that's just normal operating procedure for the U.S. Marshals. And these kids, as we're finding out, are living are actually in really good condition. They're getting education. They're getting health care. They're getting fed very well. They have TVs. They have video games. It's not like uh, it's not like they're in the middle of China somewhere, like in some POW camp. They're not in a Mexican prison. No. Oh, <laughs> believe it or not. And uh, I think you had some good facts on asylum. <laughs> well, let me kind of give you an idea of what's going on here. Uh, when Per the Geneva Convention many, many years ago, when someone wants to request asylum, when you walk to your, you can only walk to your neighboring country. For example, Venezuela, the people of Venezuela can only request asylum from, you know, their neighbor, Colombia and whatever else is bordering their that's country. That's an upgrade. It, well. That, that's where you go get asylum. Well, they got rid of the FARC, but I mean, let's. Let's couple You're, when when they went full communism socialism, they requested asylum to begin with the actual way, but Obama said no. He didn't want them. He he wanted to make sure we had a very robust immigration from many many places of the world. Even though the affluent people of Venezuela realized that this was going to be a problem going forward. That can't be because that sounds like something that Trump would say that people got really ticked about. But you're saying Obama said that? <laughs> he did, in fact, say that. And there's got some more statistics. But anyway, if you want huh. to request asylum from a country that doesn't border you, you have to go through the consulate, the embassy. You have to formally petition and you have to give them a really good legitimate reason. So if I hear you right, you know, there's been a lot of stuff in the news, so I just want to make sure I got it right. There's a process to do this legally. Oh, who'd have thought? Legally? Oh, screw that. You don't just show up at the door? <laughs> you don't just show up at the door. You don't just say, I have a problem. Do, do I understand it right that because they don't do that, they are committing or they have deemed to have committed a federal crime when they cross the border like that? Is that? I'm not a lawyer. But I would assume. Well, I thought when, that's what I've when, heard. When you cross the border illegally, yes. the first time it's a misdemeanor. Okay. Second time it's a felony. Okay. 
The first time it's a slap on the wrist and then they send you back. The second time, that's when they process you and that's when the marshals take over and that's when the separation occurs. Right. And, and the other part two of that is everything happens really quickly, almost in a day or two, you're hearing and everything. If you just are getting deported back. Now, if you want asylum, you get into that whole 30, 60 day process. And that's where, yeah, there could be some separation from you and your family for a long time. But if you're choosing to apply for asylum at the border versus applying for it at the consulate where you could just be at home with your family waiting. I'm going to drop a little statistic on you guys. Uh, Back in 2000, the amount of apprehensions at the border was 1.6 million people during the year during per year. that that year this year uh, last year 2017 uh it was two uh 316,000 people so way less way less so less people are attempting to come over here but they're still coming over here now one of the obvious things that we've seen is that unaccompanied minors are coming by themselves, which is when you think about it, you go, wow, that's crazy. Why would you send a kid? Well, they're playing on the heartstrings of the American people. And you just saw it happen, which is they send them and they go, Oh, you can't separate them. Uh, What you do, what you end up doing through uh, child welfare services is you end up, finding their an actual family member here in the States, which is why they're coming in the first place. And you relocate them with them for the time being while the adults they were traveling with are being processed because either they're not their family members or they were the coyotes or they're somebody. It could be a family member. You never know, but they're, they're playing on this rule. And they want to be processed separately. And they realize that they can get through more easily when it's a child. Uh, I had a statistic here from, who was it? It's the American Immigration Council. And they're finding that most of the migrants are doing exactly that. They're leaving because they're children and they can get processed that way. No, I think it's interesting because... Nobody has an answer. I should say not nobody. If you ask liberals what they want and they say, oh my God, there's no compassion. And the Bible says that we need to care for everybody. And I can't believe we're letting kids just wallow in cages and be separated from their families. And let's sue Trump over it. In fact, that's how strongly we feel against it. But nobody has an answer for what the solution is. So you say, okay, so let me get this straight. You want open borders. Well, I didn't, I didn't say that. Okay. So what, what is the solution aside from, I I don't get the inhumane part of having a strong border. No, no, you just said their solution. They just can't say that. Right. That's, that's the issue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If we could just get them to say yes, at least we'd know. Well, again, it's, it's, it's the whole thing we've been running. We, we do this in circles. Do you want open borders? No. Oh, so you want rules? Yes. I, I don't, none of us, I'm going to say even liberals, would never go to bed without locking their front door 
and they would never get a babysitter or childcare without vetting the person thoroughly. I don't know why you would just leave the border open and let anybody come through when that's not how you would live your life. And I think the unfortunate part of this is the border cities and counties are who lose. San Diego is who loses because they're the ones that have to deal with it right front and center. The guy or girl who lives up in San Francisco or San Jose doesn't deal with it, at least not directly. He doesn't have people coming through his property in the middle of the night, vandalism, petty crime, major crime, homicides, rape. They're not dealing with that. I don't think people have any idea what life really is like down at the border. They sit from their comfy chair. They watch on TV. They post their stupid messages to Facebook about how compassionate and righteous they are. And because of this, this just diatribe of self-righteousness and platitudes. And wouldn't you think there would be an equal level of outrage at the handling of the governments in the countries that they're leaving, that these people well, are leaving from? Or, or how about uh, the audacity of these people to do this to their kids, to put them through the perilous journey, to send them with coyotes where they're probably going to be raped, where anything could up to and including death. Well, I looked up the International Migration Review, and they're saying pretty much the same thing. It says the study determined that crime victims are unlikely to be de- deterred by the administration's efforts. Migrants are more likely to be uh, violence refugees rather than economic refugees. So when you say, I want to get my kid out of here, they're more than willing to send them on a dangerous track because they believe that the situation in their home country is equally, if not more so, violent, and that by getting to America, the violence ends. So they're more than willing to send their their children all the way unaccompanied, despite whoever's in office, Obama, Trump, Bush, whoever, and despite the, the, the journey, they're more than willing to do it. Now, I've been accused of being Latino all my life, so you are. I, uh, so I happen to know quite a few about things about this kind of thing. It, the the violence is real. The violence is real. They have a problem with the drug cartels, and you know what? Over here, we have a problem with buying them. So, if you really want to solve the problem, you gotta solve the whole drug issue. That's. That's what to me is just so infuriating is, again, back to the selective outrage, right? And we see it, look, a little bit of a tangent, but, but a similar overlay. We see it with, especially on the liberal side, women's rights, Me Too, and then um, the Middle East and uh, Islam. You're extremely upset about how women are handled, and uh, so many times rightfully so, in terms of misconduct, uh, sexual harassment, no question, done. Yet, total silence, no comment at all when it comes to a religion where a lot of countries that uh, are a theocracy with that religion, women can't even drive a car. I mean, when you play identity politics, you run into an interesting problem in that you end up with different identities competing against each other. And for liberals, it places them in a bind because we should be placing the individual as 
center and foremost. But instead, we segregate people out and we say, okay, uh, you're white, you're a male, um, you're gay or you're straight or you're transgender, whatever you are. Um, and then we can fraction that into any multitude of, and you have blonde hair and you have a lighter shade of skin or a darker shade of skin. And we, we go into, into these group politics, tribalism. And then what happens is that who do you pick the, where do you pick who's right? And that exactly. And so to Bobby's point, you've got really bad things, let's call it happening in a lot of these countries. There's like zero outrage at least publicly and mainstream media, et cetera, zero outrage at the source of the issue that is causing people. And, and to a large degree, if I put myself in their shoes and their mindset, I get it totally. Especially if the, a sympathetic parent wants something better for their kid. Absolutely. I understand that. Like I, I look at Mexico and I go, their reporters are being shot. The freedom of the press is no such thing over there. They have, little girls who run for sheriff because the grown men are too scared of the drug cartels. They have a whole multitude of problems. There's a whole town of which they stole the drug cartels guns and took over because they're not allowed to own guns themselves and just ran, ran their own semi utopia. We did that too with operation fast and furious. (laughs) I would start to respect it more or start to respect the, the, the opposing viewpoint, if there was at least an even level of outrage. Okay, you're outraged about what's happening here. Got it. Maybe we may agree, disagree in terms of logistics. And if you're also going to be outraged about what's happening there and encouraging people in whatever capacity to try and help solve that, okay, there's at least a consistency there. That's not what's going Nobody on. Nobody can give you a solution. You could press, press, press. No one gives you a solution. And on that note, we've reached that time again. The James Woods Tweet of the Week. I see you got a new jingle. That's right. That's right. Uh, Better than last week. Oh, much better. I'm glad you noticed. If you're curious, go back and listen to episode six if you haven't. So... This time, James Woods is responding to a tweet regarding Brian Stelter. So the headline is that uh, Brian Stelter skewered after bragging CNN skipped the Trump rally. So CNN's in-house media magpie Brian Stelter was ridiculed on Wednesday night after bragging on Twitter that his network didn't air, the network being CNN, that his network didn't air President Trump's rally in Duluth, Minnesota. James Woods' response? You weren't missed. <laughs> well, that's another episode down. Another week gone. Uh, new episodes every Wednesday, 8 in the morning. Find us on Apple iTunes or the Google Podcast app that you can download now at the Google Play Store. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks, everybody.